Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And is this Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog? Am I Penny? And is this episode Captain Hammer? Because I thought it was pretty okay. It's a long walk to get to that there. That was a long walk. I was like, the episode is his penis? This episode is nobody's penis. It, it's, it's, it's fine. I feel like we're... We came off two really strong episodes, and this one is fine. It is fine. It's a fine episode, and it's not as good as the one we did last time, and let me tell you, it is better than next time's, because the one that we're doing next is my least favorite episode in all of Farscape. Wow. That's a little teaser. Oh, you know, I'm dreading next time's, so much so that at the top of this episode, I'm talking about how much I'm dreading it. But now that I think about it, that might end up being our best episode of the podcast because I am going to be livid. And, and it's not just a bad episode. It's a bad episode that's a courtroom drama. Oof. So. Woof. Yeah. This episode, though, the one we're talking about this week is episode seven of season two, Home on the Remains. Mm. Okay. I mean, credit, that is a creative name. I will give them credit for that. Because we're, we're we're also doing Charmed, which has just the god-awful, most terrible names. I was going to say, the Charmed episode that we're recording this week is called P3H2O. Which has nothing to do with the club called P3. Yeah, no, it's just the, the three sisters. It's the episode about their mom drowning to death, and that's what they called it. God. God. Also, this actually kind of relates not just to what is actually happening in the episode, but also the mood of the episode. The grapes of wrathiness of the episode. Well, no, I mean, Home on the Remains is a reference to Home on the Range. Yes, where the deer and the antelope play. Yes, and where I'm given to understand there are very few discouraging words. But the remains in question, the remains of the Budong, are kind of treated like old gold rush towns. So, I don't know. It kind of works for me. It's kind of like a westward ho kind of thing. See, I, I was getting kind of not the opposite of it exactly, but like I said, Grapes of Wrath, it felt like a more depression era. You go where the work is and this is like the work if this is the work you can get it means bad things for you like that is definitely a part of it but specifically you know they're mining the crystals and there's a system where you like stake your claim and some people get very very wealthy and cash out and then some people just stay there their entire lives and die destitute so Mm. that had a real gold rush feel for me this episode was directed by rowan woods who we have seen many times Mm -hmm. farscape standby and was written by Gabrielle Stanton and Harry Worksman, who we have not seen before, but we'll see again in two more episodes. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> they also wrote upcoming My Three Crichtons, so. Ugh. I'm sorry, I'm already not looking forward to that. That seems like it's going to be a very uh, irritating episode. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, it can be done well, the whole... I'm assuming it's going to be a person split into their different components episode. Yes, that's what it is. And that's one of those things that, I mean, God, I like Ben Browder, but I'm not sure that he's going to be able to make that not irritating. 
can I can I get you on record here right now saying that Ben Browder will not be able to make being split into multiple Crichtons work? Can, can I get you on record saying that right now? I didn't say that he wouldn't make it work. I just think it's going to be really irritating. Okay. Okay, uh, I will go on record as saying I think that Ben Browder playing three different aspects of Crichton is probably going to be deeply irritating. Okay, you didn't fall for my trap because I actually wasn't referring to my three Crichtons. I was referring to something that's going to happen later. Oh, okay. Wait, so is he not split into the uh, component parts of his personality in uh, my three Crichtons? No, that is what my three Crichtons is, but then he gets split again later. Ah, okay. Lots of... Lots of splitting for Ben Browder. It's like Xena, where they cast the same uh, actors to play lots of different roles because only three people live in uh, Australia. Well, I mean, it's a tradition, right? Oh, right. I forgot this show is also shot. Yeah, the show's also shot in Australia. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's a standby. Charmed had it, even, you know. They had the episode where you had three Shannon Doherty's. Alyssa Milano must have been thrilled. So the episode opens with a shot of the Budong, uh, which is the corpse of the... (sighs) Okay, if this was any other show, I would be calling it like a space whale, but (laughs) that doesn't work because Moya is a space whale. But they do kind of a Star Wars thing to show you the scale of the Budong. So we start on Moya and then we zoom out and we see that she's just this tiny thing in the jaws of the budong moya remembers the size of a large city and and yet they only hang out in that one area well all the areas look the same so you don't know what area they're hanging out in but yeah the the budong is massive because moya fits like between two of its teeth maybe it's like a colossal squid which is an actual thing i don't know if you're familiar with it from the episode of uh American Dad, where Francine becomes a marine biologist. I do remember that episode of American Dad, yes. Colossal squid is a real thing. Are you saying that maybe budongs are real things? Not even a little. Okay. I'm just saying maybe this is like the colossal squid to Moya's regular ass whale. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I mean, that that makes total sense. Chiana tells us that the budong is one of the largest creatures there is. Mm. It's just the largest creature. It's one of those sentences where you expect the sentence to be, this is the largest creature in the uncharted territories or in this arm of the galaxy, but it's like, no, it's, it's the biggest. Full stop. Uh, see, because the show is in the 90s, I kind of, I, I knew they weren't going to, but I kind of have expected this to end with a, your, with a yo mama joke. Your mom's the biggest creature in the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's the biggest creature in the uh, Uncharted Territories, except for, of course, your mother. Okay. Which, you can tell those jokes to your heart's content. Titus Andronicus had one. Shakespeare wrote your mama jokes. They are perfectly culturally, I don't know, acceptable. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of body humor in Shakespeare. As is well as is well documented. Barring that, you can go uh, back to Dante. Barring that, uh, but uh, seriously, go back to Dante, and it's like the original self-insert fan fiction. It's like a self-insert fan fiction and a, if you'll pardon the expression, burn book yes. in one, <laughs> because it's just like all of these people he has grievances with, 
being tortured for eternity. Yeah, it's it's revenge fic. Like, he literally talks about people he doesn't like in hell. It's bizarre that we take this as seriously as we do. It's ridiculous. It was. It's the sort of thing that would be laughed off fanfiction.net. Or not, I don't know how supportive they are there. It's kind of ridiculous. It's weird that so much of our imagery of hell is based around this guy complaining about people he has to work with. No, it's... Yeah. So, Farscape. Farscape. One of the things I love about Farscape is the... This is going to be a weird word to use, but the groundedness of it. Mm -hmm. As you'll recall, these people are prisoners on the run and in this episode they are literally starving because they haven't been able to get food for a while guess you shouldn't have shot all those crackers huh shouldn't have shot all those crackers shouldn't have uh, given away that one food cube for the uh you know tiara that ended up not existing which is by the way nice continuity Last episode, when Rigel gave away the food cube, Aaron said, we don't have a lot of food left. And mm. and you said, guess you shouldn't have shot those crackers. <laughs> and you were right. Mm. And here we are this week, completely out of food, which is why Chiana is bringing them to this dead budong. She tells them there's a colony there. She and her brother used to hang out there. And... Uh, you know, they'll be well fed. There's definitely nothing more going on with this situation. Right? I mean, honestly, we'll talk about what's going on with Chiana, but this is all on them for not following up. <laughs> Rigel doesn't want to eat budong flesh, and Chiana tells him, and this is important, that budongs are poisonous. That inside of budongs, they have these, like, sacks of poison that can burst. And I'm just, like, Chekhov's pustule. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry if that was too gross, but, I mean, that is what it is. Oh, it's just going to get grosser later, so. Yes. The grossness that we're going to see later, by the way, trivia fact, is what caused this episode to be rated TV 18 in uh, Australia. The only Farscape episode to have that rating. Honestly, Honestly, I couldn't watch the entire... Th like, I've seen some pretty gross stuff. I was into slasher films for a while there. But this was so graphic. The guy who did the effects on this, he also worked on the effects on Hellraiser. Hmm. So, you oh, know. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Never got into those movies. I've never watched any of them. I mean, same. But it's like, oh no, it's S&M nerds. Mm. My understanding of Hellraiser is, yes, that it is, in fact, S&M nerds. Just don't solve the puzzle box. There. Issue solved. So, John is feeling sick. He feels like he has a cold coming on. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, it's not a cold. It's seasonal allergies. So, you need to imagine Aaron, for the rest of this episode, going through it with seasonal allergies. Oof. Rough. Also, John is trying to fry up some dentix, which are those little worms that they use instead of toothbrushes. Yeah, which everyone is rightfully grossed out at because he's basically be—he's basically suggesting, "Hey, why don't why don't I just fry up some toothbrushes? We can eat fried toothbrushes." Well, I mean, I know they're animals-ish technically, but 
not everything's edible. Well, John's working off of the theory that anything fried will taste good, and... He's got that wrong. It's anything deep fried. If you had a deep fryer... That's, that's true. Although I will say that this goes back to the Charlie Chaplin movie, The Gold Rush, where he ends up eating his shoe for the shoe leather because he has so little food. So, mm. you know. It's... Just putting this out in the universe, Pilot can regrow arms. I was thinking about that when we were watching this episode. I mean, it's horrifying to think, but I was like, I'm surprised nobody suggested that. Good on, you know what? Good on them. That's character growth. <laughs> They don't just cut off pilot's arms when they're bored anymore. So, Aaron, by the way, they are right at the entrance of the Budong colony right now. And now Aaron is like, hey, um, why did you leave this colony? And Chano's like, well, it's a giant floating corpse in space. It's not the most fun place in the universe. But also, you know... The, the winds led me somewhere else, which John picks up on as meaning, oh, oh, they're they're not going to be happy to see you, are they, Chiana? And you can, I feel like you could just assume that about Chiana. Right? Like, Chiana doesn't leave any place with people behind who are happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, it turns out fried dentic is super gross. John takes it out of his mouth and shoves it into Rigel's, which... Also know. super gross? Yeah, and Aaron's like, hey... I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm just going to flip you off. I'm not going to say I told you so because I shouldn't have to. What you did was dumb. But Zan shows up and lets everyone know that she needs food right now. She says, I need food or I'll die, which I'm sorry, Zan, but that is true for literally everyone. Okay, but she needs it like right now. It's like Virginia Hayes said... To the producers of this show, hey, this makeup is literally killing me. I'm going to have to leave the show because all of this blue body paint is killing me. And they said, oh, why don't we stick little buds on you too? Because Zan, who you will recall as a plant, is budding. It's weird how, uh, and, you know, up until her plant reveal, I guess, I guess she had the thing where she couldn't stop orgasming on Desert Planet. Because she was into the light, yeah. She had the yeah. thing where she was into light. Yeah. Okay, I guess there were hints about it. It just feels like they're, now that they've revealed that she is a plant person, they mention it all the time. Yeah, now she's all plant all the time. Yeah. It's like how Spike never mentioned his weird thing where his mom tried to seduce him and Buffy until they found out about that backstory and then he wouldn't shut up about the time his mom tried to seduce him. That is what happened. Yeah. Maybe that's the sort of thing where the floodgates open and then you can't put the water back in. I was going to say the writers hadn't read the Vampire Lestat yet. So Zan is budding because she's dying. And apparently when her race is dying, what happens is it starts shooting out spores, which makes a lot of sense from an evolutionary perspective. When you're about to die, your body is like, oh, better shoot my DNA everywhere. Guess I don't have to worry about competing for resources anymore. Yeah. So now Aaron has to stay behind on Moya while everyone else goes out onto the Budong because someone needs to keep an eye on Zan, who is dying. And everyone else is super allergic to all of the pollen she's putting out there, which I'm just going to throw this out there. In general, Mm -hmm. it is male plants 
that shoot out the pollen. Yes. I'm just wondering, like, I get that she's a plant. I guess my question is, what are these spores that she shoots out? Like, what do they fertilize? Okay, here's my question. What does, quote unquote, birth look like for her race? Maybe they, maybe it's a mandrake thing. I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I... I just really want to see that now. I'm very, very curious, and I don't think we ever find out. I I know we don't find out from her, and I don't know if we ever, like, get a throwaway about it. I want to know what reproduction looks like for her race. Her species wouldn't have, like, traditional mothers and fathers, would they, though? Right, exactly. Hmm. It's interesting to think about. Also, is it possible for, like, an insect to land on your face and then, like, fly off and land on another Delvian's face and now that Delvian's pregnant? Like a bee- fertilizing plants just gonna think about that for a while <laughs> well well everyone else goes off to the budong to to find food so john asks dargo if he's you know up for the mission and dargo's like oh i'm having allergies that's why i'm you know not in tip-top shape and uh john's like eh, yeah but you know <sighs> honest to god you're still kind of a giant liability all the time are you sure you don't want to stay behind oh poor dargo so Chiana comes out and is like, hey, do you think this super sexy outfit will help sex off, sex off, sex up the guy I left behind on the budong? And, um. Okay, okay, yeah, everyone is talking about how sexy Chiana's new outfit is. I honestly couldn't tell the difference from her regular outfit, except as you pointed out, it covers more skin, I guess. Slightly more skin. I mean, it. Her normal outfit is a crop top with a fur collar. This outfit is a leather bustier. They're they're functionally equivalent, sexy wise. I don't understand the thought process here, other than I guess. The writers wrote in the script, Chiana comes out in a new sexy outfit, and the costumer went, I don't know what that means in the context of Chiana. You know what? Sympathy for the costumer. Now that I'm saying it out loud, sympathy for that costumer. So we get a kind of really cool, obviously CGI, but you know what? It's fine. Uh, Shot sort of establishing shot of the giant dead space colossal squids you know corpse as it goes through its twists and turns into the hub in i suppose a safer region of it yeah where the kind of base camp of the colony is it's i think it's great because it kind of shows the scale of it it's like those old movies they showed you in science class that start out in space and then like zoom in really close to earth to show you the scale of the universe so someone on twitter was pitching uh the wachowski sisters to do a lot the mcu x-men movie okay i mean i don't feel like we need more X-Men movies or MCU movies, but I would watch it if the Wachowskis did it. I do want to show you the uh, new trailer for uh, WandaVision because it- Oh, I'm watching WandaVision. It got me so psyched. Yeah, so I-, I talked a little bit last episode 
about how I don't really like how psychic fights tend to be handled in mm-hmm. the X-Men movies and in general. Although I hear Legion does some really cool stuff with it later, but you know, with psychic uh, fights. Sure. Because they actually use the whole metaphor thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, I think we did see that in the dance-off thing in like the few... Remember the couple episodes of Legion we saw? I mean, I really didn't retain hardly anything from when we were watching Legion. I think the Wachowskis could do some really cool stuff with psychic-heavy plots. Yeah, I'm... Yes, absolutely they could. And I'm basing that mostly off of Speed Racer, which brings me back to the thing that made me think of this in the first place, which is that you really don't need to make stuff look realistic as long as it looks cool. Because Speed Racer did not look realistic at all. It was really obviously in this super fake environment. Mm-hmm. But, but it looks amazing. But it looks really cool and it works with the, like, the whole movie is built around this very particular aesthetic. I don't, I don't get when people are like, oh, that movie's so bad. I'm like, that movie is honestly about as perfect an adaptation of Speed Racer as one could hope for. Uh, okay, the Speed Racer movie's amazing. I am going to throw this out there, my my own feelings about the Wachowskis, mm-hmm. which is I am so glad that they made Matrix first and got all of this clout so that they could go out there and make Speed Racer and my personal favorite, Jupiter, Jupiter Ascending, Ascending, and just like do these glorious, wild movies that are for maybe not the mainstream, but have the kind of money behind them that they would if they were for the mainstream. Well, that's the thing about them. Like, when when I see people complaining about this sort of thing, those movies, on the internet, I I always just go to, yeah, but you're not the intended audience. Yeah, it's not for you, man. Which... And it's always a man. Yeah. One of the things I worry about with Disney kind of... Owning everything... Yeah, is that we're not going to get these creators who are allowed to do these, like, really weird out there, not suitable for a general audience thing anymore, because mid-range movies are dying. Like, you can have an indie darling movie, or you can have a tentpole movie, but there's not really stuff in between anymore. Well... I think about how Netflix has this space where they can do these very strange things that don't really belong anywhere else. The like, Bash Brothers Like thing. the Bash Brothers. What is that? That that could not exist anywhere except Netflix. Or, or I guess maybe YouTube? Yeah. yeah. Or- that couldn't exist anywhere except the internet. And then with Netflix, it has mainstream distribution and funding and funding and disney plus could be doing that but they're like hey what if we just remade everything from the 90s instead yeah we're we're doing this right after the big disney uh push i don't know what you call it they well it was an investor presentation showing all the new stuff that they were going to be coming out with that's that's where all of the news came from but all of their new projects and i'm just pre-exhausted yeah like like i said before i am genuinely excited for wandavision but there is a time there was a time in the past where i was watching fucking electra in theaters because there was nothing else and i can't imagine going back in time and telling myself hey there's gonna be like 40 marvel projects coming out that you're gonna have no interest in Yeah, I imagine telling my teenage self, there will be a Harley Quinn movie 
and you won't even care. And uh, by the way, I mean Suicide Squad, not the not the new Harley. I care about the new Harley Quinn movie. But yeah, I can't even imagine saying that to my high school self. <sighs> but I'm I one of the reasons I have higher hopes for WandaVision is because since it's not technically a movie, I feel like they might have more room to experiment with stuff. Plus, the writer-director of Timer is working on it. Mm. Speaking of indie... Timer isn't really an indie darling movie. Timer is a very weird movie that is, incidentally, not streaming or available for purchase anywhere right now. I was looking for it so I could recommend it to someone. And it is nowhere right now, which is a shame. Mm. But... It's one of those movies that I feel like I'm the only person who ever really loved it, but then whenever I bring it up, a bunch of people come out of the woodwork and are like, oh my god, I love Timer. So, Timer. If you can find it somewhere, watch it. And if you are like, oh my god, I love Timer, tell me that on Twitter, because yeah, isn't it awesome? Farscape. So, John has landed on the planet. He is uh, checking in with his squad, making sure everyone's watches are synced up and all that jazz. But they are interrupted by an alarm blaring. It is apparently an attack by a Kidva. <gasps> Not a Kidva. That's, uh, that's that charity organization Bill Clinton was pushing a few years back where you do microloans. Yes, yes. No, no, it's not. <laughs> so a Kidva is this, like, beast that runs through the budong and feeds on it and eats the miners who are mining the budong yeah and it i was gonna say what a jerk but it was probably here first yeah yeah and it chased temen uh-oh that's the that's the guy that Chiana was dressing all sexy for the one who was going to help her out. Yeah, it chased him into one of those pustules, and now he is poisoned and dying. And he's like, "Chiana, don't, don't leave me like this." And she freaking stabs him. She's like, she doesn't hesitate. She's like, "Bam!" And uh, Dark is like, "Chiana, what you doing there?" And she's like. Look, he was going to die a real brutal, slow, awful death. So I, you know, did him a solid. And and then a weird visor guy with an earring's like, she did what had to be done. Hurrah. Okay, so I've been thinking about this guy as looking like dollar store Bono. I can see that. I can, I can see that a lot. So not Bono praises Chiana. And then the dead guy, Temin, his brother, Basong, comes out and is like, Chiana. You always did what you had to do. And also, I'm going to close up these mines. So anybody who thought that they were going to mine and get any money so they could buy food is S-O-L. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And not Bono is super mad about this because he's here to profit off of other people mining. He's, he's basically like the quark, I get the impression. Mm. He like is the guy who can get you things. And he doesn't really do mining himself. He just sells stuff to the people who are mining. Quirk was uh, Principal Snyder, right? Yes. Quirk is Armin Shimmerman's character on Deep Space Nine who runs the bar in Deep Space Nine. Hmm. Yes. So. Chiana is, now that her uh, intended boob target is dead, she's going to throw those boobs at the next person in line. Who is Basong. And Dargo is not happy about this. Dargo is like... Yeah, Dargo's like, hey, Chiana, Chiana, we're not doing that. We're all about shaming sex work here. Right? Like, 
What did you think she meant when she put on the sexy outfit? Sexy outfit. (laughs) You probably thought, hey, she must be being super professional because she's covering up more than usual. Right. Although, I don't know, maybe maybe in space, the less clothing you have, the more professional you are. Like in in He-Man. I thought you were going to say like Prue Hallowell. God. Gonna have a thing about that in our next uh, Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. We certainly are. Excuse me, this is my business tube top. Oh my god. Anyway, Basong takes everyone's weapons because that's the deal. If you're gonna be in the colony, you have to give up your weapons. Well, he can't take Dargo's tongue, so the joke's on him. You know, I feel like Dargo should use his tongue in this episode for that very reason, and he does not. Huh. Maybe maybe he, he didn't want to stick out his tongue because they talk about how gross the budong smells and how nasty everything around them is. Maybe he just didn't even want to risk it. Fair. So now we see Altana. This woman, okay, she's an older woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's presented to us as an older woman. It's very like, I've been on this budong forever. I'm one day away from retirement type of woman. But also, some of the lines make me think she used to have a relationship with Chiana. I could see that. I mean, I mean, maybe it's it's, it's not as explicit as other things we've seen, but I, you know, I could see it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it's supposed to just be like motherly, like she looked out for Chiana. But I don't know. It feels kind of more like uh, Jane and that girl. And is it a uh, summer yet? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Don't love that because it feels like they were kind of leaning into everyone assuming that Jane was gay with that plot, and then they just kind of step back from it at the last second. Yeah, they were like getting ready to reveal to us that Jane was a lesbian or possibly bisexual, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense for her character. And then they were like, nope, never mind. It was just a predatory lesbian. And it's like you went from almost being progressive to being as regressive as you could. Predatory bisexual. You. I, I, I know, to me. Yeah. Well, no, I actually want to say that might even be worse because I feel like that's even more of a stereotype with bisexuals than with lesbians. Yeah. Although, you know, it was implied that she was sleeping with the guy who uh, ran the program. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that she could get her art displayed, which... But, uh, God, that whole thing. Because it was, it was a really interesting development for Jane that they just walk back so that she can not really do anything in the last season. And she had some stuff. She had the, uh, she had that, uh, relationship with the zoot suit guy. Oh, did we say that we're talking about Daria? We should say that for for people who listen to us who don't know the inside of our brains. Yes, I, I don't know if we mentioned that we were talking about Daria, but, uh, we are. Which, Daria is on Hulu, and if you've not seen it, it is well worth watching. So, Chiana is catching up with her old friend slash possible girlfriend. Eh. So she's telling her what happened to all of the people that she left behind, which is a nice way for us to understand how this colony works. I really like that kind of exposition. You know, somebody died. Someone got married. Somebody, you know, hit it rich. They found a big vein of crystals and they got out of there. And this woman tells Chiana that she has found a huge vein herself and that... She is going to give some of it to Chiana, and she's going to get out of there, and she's going to retire. It's, she's got one day until retirement. Yes. She is worried, though. She thinks that with the mine shut down, her claim is going to get jumped by someone else. 
the phrasing, the phrase jumping her claim, I feel like that felt like gold rush to me. Yeah, I can see that. And Chiana wants to know if maybe Altana thinks that Basong shut the mine down on purpose to screw her over, to, to jump the claim. And Altana, dear sweet Altana, thinks that's ridiculous. Oh. How long have you been on this, I was going to say planet, but dead space creature? Too long. And yet, and yet. So... Zan is, meanwhile, Zan is in her sick bed with her uh, hands up. As she's though, in like a meditative pose. Oh, I was going to say it looks like she's a 50s housewife who saw a mouse in a cartoon, except on the floor. Yeah, she's she's not not doing well. This would be a good point to like freeze her. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Although, I, I guess since she's not... Carbon-based? Yeah. I, I, or, I mean, she's carbon-based, but since she's not a mammal? Yeah, I guess it might be more dangerous. I mean, I know a killing frost is uh, actually a reference to a night cold enough to kill your plants. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's probably bad for her. Then again, it's not like we've exactly had great luck freezing higher life forms and then bringing them back in real life. I, I know, sci-fi. But. Yeah. So... Zan is telling Aaron how to mix a potion that will, you know, hold her over till she can get some meat, but she goes catatonic before she can finish telling Aaron what to do. And then Pilot tells Aaron that the pollen Zan is giving off is bad enough that now it's starting to affect Moya. And poor Aaron is like, well, turn the atmosphere scrubbers up to maximum. And Pilot's like, I did. And Aaron's like, okay, that's literally the only thing I know how to do. If you don't know if you don't know what to do from here, I don't know what to do from here, pilot. This is pretty much all of the Zan plot from here on out. Oh no, she's doing more pollen. What are we gonna do? I don't know. What are we gonna do? I don't know. The Zan plot is so boring. Really? I didn't find it well, we'll we'll talk about it. I I didn't find the Zan plot boring. Also she gets paranoid, and this is like what, the seven millionth episode where someone's got paranoid? It's a Farscape staple, I would say. I, I would say that, like, the ultimate Farscape episode involves people getting paranoid. <laughs> anyway, back on the planet. And this is, this is like, a nice way to build up steaks, no pun intended. Hmm. Rigel is eating the food that has been offered to them, which is, like, mold and lichen. And he wants meat. And Basong tells him that, no, 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 meat you have to pay for. Which will be important later. And uh, Rigel sees some people gambling, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I'm off to make my way. I'm off to make my wages in gambling." And John's like, "It seems like a bad idea, but I'm I mean, too lazy to stop you." So uh. he's been successful with it before, so I, I would normally trust Rigel to get this done. But um, you can't see Rigel being competent on screen. Well, we do see him do a good job gambling in the Zenitian pirate episode mm -hmm. in the flax, but no, no, he's, this isn't, this isn't going to go well for him. Not, not at all. So Basan, I have a hard time putting my finger on it. He's doing a really weird accent. I don't know what's up with it. I, I feel like he's, I mean, it, it 
probably he's Australian, but it has the feeling of someone who's not an American trying to do a Southern accent. So when I was reading trivia on this episode, Mm -hmm. it actually mentioned that that actor's natural accent sounded too much like a Southern accent. So they had to like redo it. So he's actually trying not to speak in his own accent, which sounds like an American Southern accent, even though it's like Eastern Australian or something. Hmm. So that's that's what's happening there. Ah. And normally I enjoy people doing bad accents. Like one of my favorite bits. I mean, this isn't it, this was intentional, so it probably shouldn't count, but one of my favorite bits from Buffy is when uh Spike tries to do an American accent around Riley. Mm-hmm. Hey there, I'm a friend of Xander's. <laughs> Well, and it's not just that he's trying to, he's essentially trying not to speak with his own speaking voice, so he's trying to do, like, an accent. It's not just that, it's that he's, it's affecting his cadence in a weird way. He, look, kind of like what you just did with with your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although, seriously, if you get the chance to see, like, British people doing bad American accents, it's always funny. Yes, although James Marsters is... He's an, he's an American. Right, so he's an American pretending to be a British guy doing a bad American accent. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Yes. He's a vampire pretending to be... Human. Human, pretending to be... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, so back on Moya, John has shown up with food for Zan, but as I mentioned, it's lichen and spores and mold whatever whatever they were eating down on the budong and zan is like dwarf bread right dwarf bread dwarf bread which lasts forever because if you have it you will do anything to not have to eat it which is what terry pratchett says yes but zan is like no i'm past that point i need meat must be meat i don't know it started out audrey too i don't know where i went with it i i'm not sure what i was doing there but yeah it has to be meat Pilot's got a bunch of extra arms, just saying. Basically, what happens is, for her species, when they go into this, like, death spiral, they stay in it until they kill whatever it is that's threatening them and eat it, and then their body goes, oh, we're not dying, and then they stop budding. So, until she eats meat, her body's gonna keep giving off spores until presumably she ceases to exist. I mean, honestly, it's a pretty cool thing because you're spreading the spores, you know, in case you die to spread your seed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also, they will kill any meat thing around you, so you can just eat that after it dies, and then... Yeah, that... So, dual purpose. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, they, they kind of have it going on. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rigel sucks at everything. Yeah, he's he's losing the game, and he's like, hey, fake Bono, you cheated. And fake Bono is like, cheating is part of the game, so if you're saying I cheated, that means I won. Something. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the, uh, the Illuminati game. I, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Oh, it's a game that was really popular when I was in college, and it involves cheating, and it's really annoying to play it because... It involves cheating. Any game that involves, like, cheating and bluffing and stuff is just annoying to play, because there's always some... Ugh. <laughs> well, you know, a game was popular in theory when I was in college, although I don't think I ever actually saw anyone play it. What's that? Infomercial. I've never heard of that. Okay, it's uh, basically whenever someone's doing something, 
you uh, yell infomercial and they have to act like they're in an infomercial. Oh, okay. The Illuminati game was an actual board game that actually does have, like, oh. rules that involve cheating. And it's just like, ugh. Infomercial was mostly about making people drop stuff. <laughs> Which, to be fair, infomercial, the products that, you know, they're trying to sell are actually normally for people who have disabilities. Yeah, they're usually accommodation products that then have to be sold to the mainstream so they can be profitable enough that they can be manufactured. Yeah, that's why, you know... Okay, yes, you don't have the the problem they're advertising. Oh, has this ever happened to you? And someone's holding a thing of popcorn and then they just throw it all over the room. It's like, yes, obviously that doesn't happen to you, but it's a product for someone who has Parkinson's and they need to advertise it to the mainstream, otherwise it won't get funded. Right, like you don't have a problem opening this container of milk, so you don't need the little spike that goes into the milk to make it pour easily. But if you have problems manipulating things, then that would be super useful. And you know what? Maybe we don't all need to kill ourselves trying to open the milk carton. Maybe we can all just jam the spike into it. Mm. Assuming that you have a paper milk carton and not a plastic jug. So for not a ton of people. I don't know how uh, widespread that is. I I feel like I don't see it very often. But, you know, in Canada, they sell milk in bags. So Canada. Sorry, bags of milk is the weirdest thing. I don't know why either. It's like objectively it's not that weird but it weirds me out i think that would be the most fun thing about going to an alternate dimension that was really close to yours where you just see all of the little things you kind of take for granted that are different one of the the things i think of is in the mode series i was thinking about the mode series you know the first dimension she goes to where it's like exactly like her home dimension except for uh stoplights are uh yeah they're 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 blue blue. Mm -hmm. or go lights on the yeah Yeah. traffic light thing they're blue instead of green and otherwise it's like the same dimension and she's like what she's a little off (laughs) so fake bono realizes that Rigel has no crystals to trade, to, to lose in this game that he's been betting with. And that's not going to be good for Rigel. Rigel's like, well, let's go double or nothing. And he's like, you don't have anything. Yeah, yeah. Fake Bono's like, mm, no, no. And meanwhile, Chiana is going to uh, seduce Basong. She's going to take Basong to Pound Town. Yes, she's going to, Yeah. The song is all like, hey, um, I hit on you before and you chose my brother. And she's like, yeah, but now he's dead. So now I guess I'm left with you. What is this? The Bible? I was going to say, good job, runner up. Good job if Temin cannot fulfill his duties as my lover person. Hey, when a werewolf attacks, you'll be happy to be second place. Yes. Yes. So Dargo comes in and is like, WTF? And also, we need meat for Zan. Like, it needs to be meat. Must be meat. And Basong is like, uh, we went over this. You have to pay for meat. And Chiana's like, well, what about the sex I was about to give you? And Basong's like, you were just gonna have sex with me? For stuff? Yeah, he's horrified and Dargo's horrified. And Chiana's like... I, f- I, th- I thought that was really clear. Really? Why is everyone so shocked? It's like literally the world's, I guess, universe's oldest profession. Like, I think everyone needs to stop being so judgmental. Yeah. 
I'm... Uh, uh, it's a service. Yes. I. Chiana can do what she wants to do. And also, Basong is like, oh, you just wanted a free handout. And it's like, um, it's not free. Sex work is work. Yeah, yeah. It's not a free handout if she is doing labor for you. But Dargo freaks out and he punches Basan in the face. And Basan's like, if you want meat, you have to work for meat. And Chiana's like, that's what I was going towards. And he's like, no, in the mines. But Basang realizes that his hand is stronger than he thought. So he says that he'll only help them out if Chiana stays with him, like, permanently. Mm. And that, that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna work out for them. He's really overplaying his hand here because why would Chiana, given what he knows about her, because he doesn't know about the character development or whatever, <laughs> but why would Chiana care what happened to the crew once she wasn't part of it anymore? Like, Yeah, the Chiana he knew would not give up her freedom for a crewmate. So what, what does he think is going to happen? No. Instead, Chiana storms out, and she's gonna get the crystals another way. She's she's gonna get the crystals with Altana that Altana was telling her about. And then she yells at Dargo, you know, after they've stormed away, that he's not her big brother. And Dargo's like, yeah, no, bro, that's not the relationship I want with you, Chiana. Yeah, I want to have a, like, sex relationship. Was that not clear? Was <laughs> I not clear? This isn't Game of Thrones. Come on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of was I not clear happening in this episode. Although, I mean, not to be fair, but, like, he wasn't going to pay you for having sex with him anyway, so, eh. mm. I mean, he might have given them meat for sex, I... Meat for sex. Uh, uh. Anyway, Chiana tells Dargo her plan, which is that he's going to help Altana get into the mine, even though it's been closed, and they're going to find the crystals in that vein that she found, and then they're going to have crystals, and then they're going to buy meat, and then... Bada bing, bada boom, everyone's done. Yay. Back on Moya, Erin has a plan. She's, uh, she's gonna just mix a bunch of crap together and hopefully everything will work out. Well, her plan is to flood Zan with light, because Zan's a plant, and plants love lights, and, uh... Oh yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world, I'm assuming on some level she gets some energy from photosynthesis, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, she must. But, yeah, no, instead what happens is it's like blowing on a dandelion and... It's just making her spud more. Yeah, she spuds all over the place and... Oh, dear. Pilot's like, you've made things way worse. And Zan is like... Why are you trying to kill me? And Aaron's like, well, no one else was doing anything. And Zan and Pilot are like, yeah, that's true. No one else was making things worse, Aaron. Poor Aaron. Poor Aaron in this episode. Seriously. She's doing her best. She's doing her best. Ah, oh, so... Chiana is distracting Basong. Well, you know, Daga goes off into the, the mine. She's fake negotiating with him. She's like, okay, what if I stay with you for half a cycle? And, you know, we only do handy J's on alternating weekdays. And he's like, 
I feel like I can get more out of you. And she's like, Ugh. okay, blowjobs and a quarter cycle. <laughs> and John is like, what is happening? And so Chiana fills him in and he's like, okay, but what about the fact that the mine was closed? Cause there was like a monster running around eating people like, ah, real monsters. Ah, real monsters. Just references the show. It's what you're getting here. It's what you're getting today. Back on Moya, we find out that Zan is sporing so much that basically Moya's going to be blinded, like permanently destroyed if they don't do something soon. If they don't get her some space Claritin. Yes, space Claritin. And they need to, you know... Essentially, they need to open up the doors and vent to space. They need to vent all those spores out. So Aaron's plan is to grab Zan, get on a transport pod, let Pilot vent out the ship, and then, you know, presumably get out of the transport pod. Mm. Pilot points out that that's going to be great for Moya, but Aaron will be in a tiny enclosed space with the rapidly sporing Zan. And Aaron, because she is, like, connected to Pilot... On a DNA level at this point, is like, you let me worry about that. Don't worry about me. Just worry about Moya. Which is super awesome and noble, except, uh-oh, Zan's gone. Yeah. So, I do appreciate that they are acknowledging, for once, that they could just put whatever crewmate is having trouble in a transport and send them off the ship. You're right. They, like, never deal with that. But... Like, couldn't they just do two transport pods and have Aaron, like, hauling Zan's transport pod? Can, I, can they not do that? I don't think they have, like, tractor beams like that, no. Well, I was thinking just, like, cables. Oh. Eh, I, don't, I don't feel like that's a thing they're set up to do. Hmm. Or, you know, remote control the... Wasn't that a thing where they could, like, remote control the uh, transport pods? Wasn't that... No, they've never been able to do that. Because there have been several instances where it would have been useful to remote control of the transports, and they've never been able to do that. So there has to be someone in the transport pod, we can assume. Wow. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. I honestly just put Zan in one of the transport pods. And have Aaron in a transport pod just kind of keeping an eye on her, and then she can get on to the other one, right? I mean, they can... Well, I mean, honestly, they can put Zan in a transport pod and just leave it in the cargo bay. Like, it doesn't need yeah, to be in you're space. Right. Yeah. But none of this matters because they can't find Zan. Yes, Zan is missing. Back on the Budong, John goes into the mines to look for Dargo because he's going to get killed by the creature otherwise. And comes across Rigel, who... I, I guess nobody can... I guess closing the mine means nothing to people. Because fake Bono has sent him down into the mine to get some crystal. Hey, hey, this dead alien colony works on the honor code. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's my, it's my Budong born right to be torn apart by a wild creature that lives on a floating space squid. Oh, God. Yes. It's, it's the First Amendment. Uh, You have to let me come into your store and cough on everyone. Stay home. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Seriously. John spends a minute trying to convince Rigel to come with him, and then he's like, oh, wait, I just remembered. You're completely useless. You stay here and do your thing, and I'm going to go find Dargo. And then we take kind of a hard right into Theseus and the Minotaur. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a classic horror situation. Like, the creature is in the shadows for most of this, and John hears it, and we see it kind of sneaking up on him, and he runs, and, you know, everything's in shadows. It's, it. I think it's really well done. It's, it's, it's a good horror moment. Mm. It has kind of a werewolf thing going on. I mean, I know more classically, this is definitely a Minotaur thing. You're in a maze. There's a mysterious creature chasing you. But Oh, I didn't think about that as like the maze-like nature of the caves. Oh, yeah, yeah. The creature looks like a little bit like the terrible suit they put Oz in in Buffy. Yeah, the gorilla dogs that were, you know, what werewolves were in Buffy, except for the first episode where it looked like a werewolf, but... It couldn't do anything, so they needed to change it for when werewolves had to do stuff later. Except it's got this, like, elongated snout. I And, and it's not supposed to look like anything, so it's you're not like, that doesn't look like a werewolf. You're just like, ah, oh, that is a furry gorilla creature with an elongated snout that really looks like it could eat you. Yeah, so Rigel tries to fly out of there because he's in his little flying thing. And John grabs onto it and Rigel's like, hey, hey, do me a favor and just drop down and let it eat you because you're kind of like bumming me out right now. Like, come on, dude. Come on. Also, my, my, my throne can't carry both of us, even though it clearly is. Yeah, like they're not like drifting down or anything or if they are, they're doing it very, very slowly. But it's just Rigel talking about, hey, John. I just, I do love the casual, he's like, John, come on, do me a solid here. <laughs> and then we cut to the creepiest goddamn thing. We get a shot that just looks like Xan floating through a void, like, breathing out clouds and clouds of spores. And she looks like a husk of herself. It's really creepy. Yeah, her eyes have gone red, which you'll remember in the episode with the Delvians earlier, her eyes going red like that, or, or any Delvian's eyes going red like that, indicated that they had lost control of their uh, their balance, right? And they had given in to the madness. Hmm. It's not clear to me where Xan is supposed to be, because she does appear to be floating. We know that she's somewhere in command, and I always kind of assumed that she was kind of floating up near the ceiling, which doesn't make a lot of sense, because gravity Mm. but it is really i kind of figured she kind of took root somewhere like kind of up though yeah yeah i mean i don't know how she would have done that no she's psychic she can probably fly sometimes she's losing a lot of her mass because she's sporing Mm. down on the budong altana is you know mining away and dargo is guarding her and Dargo's sort of trying to get the backstory on Shiana. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, so does she, like, have sex with a lot of people for goods and her services? And um, what's her bucket's like, hey, why are you asking so many questions about Shiana? And Dargo's like, well, I'm traveling with her. I have a vested interest in, you know, what her history is and what her moral code is or whatever. And 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 her, and what's her face is like? No 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 no. This is romantic partner jealousy. This is some straight guy BS. So I I actually really like this. She says, "Are you with Chiana? You know, romantically?" And he says, "No." And she says, "No, or not yet." Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good turn of phrase. She also, and this is the thing that made me feel like they were a couple. She's like, you know what? Shiana does what she needs to do, but we always came out on top. That's <laughs> the thing that made me feel like they were together. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it wasn't necessarily a sexual relationship, but I choose to believe it was. Mm. I choose to ship them. So Aaron has not found Zan, even though, like I said, I'm pretty sure she's in command and so is Aaron. So she tells Pilot, you know what? It's, uh, there's nothing left to be done. Moya is, she can't take another minute of this. So seal off command and vent the ship and sorry, Zan. Super, super sorry. And I mean, she is, she's, she, she sounds very regretful about what she believes she has done in killing Zan. And we see at least one DRD go flying. Jeez, poor DRDs. Also, why is the size of a freaking city and yet one Delvian spores her? Yeah, but, you know, she's sensitive. No, you're right. You're right. A single creature should be able to spore away without... Yeah, well, I'm not going to worry about it. Maybe it's because Zan's hanging around near her brain. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's sensitive equipment, though. Like, it, it's like a piece of dirt in a Swiss watch or something, which I'm given to understand as a problem. Mm. Well, then stop rubbing dirt in your watch. I, mean, I don't have a watch. I don't either, because... Who has watches anymore? Everybody's got your phone. It's got the time on it. Yes, it is the, uh... It's whatever century it is. It's that century. Who has watches anymore? The Except as a douchebag status symbol. Yeah. Back during uh, Web 1.0, mm -hmm. you know, in the early days of the internet, there was a website that uh, had a feature where it was like a celebrity versus a thing. And you had to decide if you were going to get rid of the thing or the celebrity. Like, which could we live without? Like, could we live without Jude Law or Watches? One of them was watches. Ah. And I remember they were like, yeah, basically everyone's getting cell phones now. So I guess we're going to get rid of watches. Because remember, this was like mid 90s. Mm. People were just starting to all have cell phones. I had a Nokia brick back in the day. Me too. Those things were GD invincible. Yeah, they were. It was a really solid first phone. Although, I, I mean, I guess it was part of the thing where you can't text on it without having to because you paid for texts, so it would make sense that they made them as difficult as possible to do. God, I don't think mine even did texting, now that I'm thinking about it. I certainly never used it to text. I think it was like a dollar a text or something. It was like a ridiculous thing to... What's funny now, because of how connected we are to our phones, I like didn't even care about or want the phone when I had it. It was just one of those things where my parents made me have a phone so that they could keep track of me. Oh, a cell phone in general. Yes. Okay, because I was like, I put off getting a smartphone as long as I could because I, I knew as soon as I had anywhere access to the internet, you know, at all times, that would be a bad thing for me. Oh, yeah, no, I'm talking about the early days of cell phones when they didn't even connect to the internet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a phone that was just a phone. Yeah, no, I'm th the more I'm thinking about it, I'm almost certain mine didn't even have texting capabilities. Wow. Not my first phone. Obviously, then. Obviously, I'm an old. I have owned several generations of cell phones. I mean, I have two. I'm, yeah. I, mean, I think it's more when we came of age. That's true. Because I feel like we saw some very particular leaps in technology in a fairly short period of time. Technology has moved very quickly within our lifetimes. That's true. 
that's one of the things that sets our generation, us being millennials, hmm. apart from the generation before us or the one that came after. Yeah, because honestly, I, I feel like tech kind of plateaued over the last few years. Yeah, like the new iPhone's not a huge jump from the previous iPhone, the way that the sidekick was a huge jump from the phone that came before it. Or, Do you remember the sidekick? I wanted one so bad. I remember it had the little uh, keyboard that would pop out of it, and it was like, the future. Yes. <laughs> One of the fun things about watching old but not that old shows is seeing the uh, cell phones everyone has. We talked about that a little bit when we were watching, uh, when we were doing our Once Upon a Time podcast. Oh, yeah. We talk about how old all of Emma's cell phones are, even as they're jumping as the show goes on. Yes. Especially because the show's supposed to take place over, like, three years, and she's got, like, seven different cell phones. I remember on Lost, there is a twist, and it's over ten years old at this point. God, time. So I feel like I'm not giving anything away to say that there is a twist halfway through the show where... We realized that what we thought were flashbacks were, in fact, flash forwards. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it and Jack had a modern cell phone. And because cell phones moved so quickly, I was like, ooh, that cell phone is like two years out of date. That's the wrong kind of cell phone. But because it was a jump forward, not a flashback, it... That was a, he that actually, was actually he actually had an old phone. Well, no, it was actually a clue. It was it was yeah. a hint that they were in the future, well, the present and yeah. not the past. Future in the show. Yeah. <laughs> because I remember there was a, a joke thing where they talk about 76 days have elapsed. And then, you know, he it, w it was a thing that, you know, the Red Sox had won the World Series in that time. and then... Yeah, that did happen. So back in the caves, the gorilla dog is uh, all about eating Dargo now. So John and Rigel are cool. Yeah, it found Dargo and Altana. It's interesting, isn't it, that the, the dog creature was able to... Focus in right on where the really valuable vein of crystal was. Mm. But it does. It jumps up. It attacks Altana. It knocks out Dargo. Seriously, Dargo. I I usually don't like to say this because it's usually not true. But he had one job. His one job was to keep the dog thing from killing Altana. He could have just not. Well, I mean, I, I guess he was being affected by the plants. Zants. The Zants? The Zants. <laughs> or what have you, but could have just not brought him. Could have just stuck him in a transport pod. I mean, I know many hands make light work or whatever, but... I mean, Darko's actually a lot more useful than he was in season one. You just still have season one bias against Dargo, I think. Mm. So, John has wandered back to base camp to find Chiana. He hasn't found Dargo. He talks about, you know, if any more time elapses without them getting meat, he's going to cut off his own arm and feed it to Zan. Which is, in fact, supposed to be a reference to when they cut off Pilot's arm. Mm. And then the uh, creature alarm goes off, and uh-oh. Yeah, Basong is like, hey, Chiana, you know how I told you not to go into the mine? And Dargo went into the mine? He's definitely dead in the mine. But they pull Dargo out, he's not dead. He is just gravely injured, but Altana is definitely absolutely dead. Yep. Lady one week away from retirement was one week away from retirement. Who could have possibly foreseen this? And then Chiana has her, like, sad, grieving moment with Altana, which is 
you know, an emotional sweet moment. She, you know, is a... It's pretty bloody, by the way. Like, it's... Lady got mauled. Yeah, they show quite a bit. I know I said that the reason this episode was rated 18 was because of a thing that's going to happen later, but honestly, this is this is pretty brutal, too. I feel like they were a little in for a penny, in for a pound here. Yeah, I mean, may as well, right? Yeah. Dargo says that he's going to be okay. The blood is running clear. Good continuity. Mm-hmm. And... Chiana's like, hey, Basang, Jacuse, you definitely are up to something because you are definitely causing the deaths of all of the people who know where the veins Diamonds are. Yeah, yeah. And Basang's like, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't get to judge me. You left. Which kind of makes you look guilty, dude, but whatever. Yeah. So, back on Moya. <laughs> oh, Zan lowers herself down from the ceiling and is like, Hey, Aaron. You want to smoke some weed? You want to smoke some me? Oh, God. Ugh. No, no. She's, she's, actually, she's actually not calm like a person who's just smoked weed. Instead, she's like, Hey, Aaron, you just tried to kill me. And Aaron's like, Look, normally light makes you horny, okay? How is I supposed to know that it would make your spuds spud faster in this case? Well, she specifically means not the light. She means the second time Aaron tried to kill her by telling Pilot to vent everything into space. Oh, yeah. Well. Well, maybe don't hide when people are getting ready to vent the ship into space. Seriously. She yells at Aaron. She's just a bloodthirsty peacekeeper. Although, honestly, that's like not... Backing up your argument very much if you're the one who's smacking her around, which she totally is. Yeah. She accuses Aaron of being afraid of being contaminated by a lower race like Xan. Which is like a very peacekeeper thing. But also, literally, Aaron is being contaminated by you right now. Yeah, maybe when you're sporing isn't the time to make these sort of accusations. And Aaron's like... I am allergic to what you're doing right now. You're literally breathing out spores that are killing me, and I'm still trying to save you. So maybe... Shut up. Shut up! And Zan points and sounds like, okay, solid point. I'm a little out of it right now. It's hard for me to think, you know. And Aaron reminds her of who she is. Remember who you are, son. She's like, you're a 10th level Pau. You can fight through this. And then she does what is always helpful to do when somebody is kind of freaking out. She snaps in her face. God. Zan! (laughs) Get me a soda. I mean... But, yeah, Zan starts freaking out and Aaron has to headbutt her to death. Oh, okay, wait. I, I love this, though, because she's like... Zan, I'm going to help you through this. And she leans in and it almost looks like they're going to do the unity. Because you'll remember that the Delvians do sex by like touching their foreheads together. And then the camera does like a weird effect and that's Delvian sex. Mm -hmm. And it's such a subversion of that that Aaron like kind of leans in and then just headbutts her. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's such a great reflection of the moment where... John helped Zan come back to herself by doing unity with her in the episode with the Delvians. It's perfect. This moment is is perfect. So back on the Budong. 
Everyone is down in the caves now. It's just, it's just, everyone's in the caves now. Seriously, they're making no effort to stop people from going, which makes sense because, spoiler alert, but Basum, Basum? Basong. Basong has control of the monster. Yep, yep. John finds Basong and he's he's got the monster and yeah, he's he's telling it where to go and who to kill and what to do. And that's how he's like, you know, that's, he, that's, that's how he's keeping control of the mines and getting all the best claims and, you know, all that stuff. At a certain point, I mean, I know this isn't how capitalism tends to work, but at a certain point when you have enough money to not want to live on a giant corpse anymore... I mean, you'd think, but... I guess having more money, more and more and more money than anyone could possibly need, is more important than not living on a giant corpse. Mm. You know what? We've all got different priorities, I guess. He's Jeff Bezos. Does Jeff Bezos live on a giant corpse? I mean... Well, I think he metaphorically lives on a bunch of giant corpses. Yeah. Well, on a bunch of regular-sized corpses. Jeff Bezos metaphorically is standing on a whole lot of dead people. This conversation took a dark turn. Let's go back to the fake horror on the Budong. So. So, they're in this room. This is going to be important for the climax of this particular encounter. They're in this room that has these, like, sideways portcullises. I guess that's just a door. But not not really a door because it's got like spikes where it closes onto the other door. Yeah. This is important. And uh, yeah, Basong is gonna lock John in here with the dog creature, and uh, I guess that's the end of his John problem. I mean, come on, dude! Super villain handbook, which I hate because it's. I I guess it was relevant at the or evil overlord handbook or whatever it was called. Yeah. Okay, but. That was, like, the first email forward ever. Yeah, yeah, this... no, it's one of those things that was really funny at the time. Like, why did the chicken cross the road, but then it just got ran into the ground? Listen, back in my day, we had one meme for six months, and you had to make it last! But yeah. Yeah, he, he should have stayed behind and made sure John died, but he, he, he didn't. He didn't do that. And... There's no way John can defeat a giant dog creature. Yeah. Yeah. So I I like this. John faces off with him and the part of the cave they're in definitely has a very um, original series of Star Trek feel to it. Mm. And John is fighting this creature and it very much reminds me of old original series Star Trek episodes with Kirk and, you know, fighting monsters with styrofoam rocks. And John says, okay, enough of this Captain Kirk shit. Does a flip over the creature, which good good job, John, mm. and runs through the portcullis, and on the other side, there's the control box that's operating it, so that he can open it, wait for the creature to run towards him, and then close it, killing the creature in the same way Luke Skywalker kills the Rancor beast. So he's like, enough of this Kirk shit. Guess it's time to be Luke Skywalker. Mm. Also, we uh, do see a couple of shots of Ben Browder's uh, latex-covered rear end, yes. Because it's been a while. They're like, hey, you remember who has a nice butt? John Crichton has a nice butt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not really an episode of Farscape if we don't get a good shot of uh, Ben Browder's butt. 
Speaking of asses, Chiano is doing yoga in the middle of the hallway in the mines. Okay, she's doing like a horse stance as she pulls a gun on Basong. It's a real weird pose to hold while you're pointing a gun at someone. I mean, good job, Gigi Edgley, for standing in that pose for so long. And, okay, Basong is like, Chiana, I know you. You don't have it in you to kill me. Did Chiana change a lot since she lived on this planet? Because I 10,000% believe that she would do this sort of thing. I mean, well, first of all, yes. Second of all, if you've really, really screwed someone over and then they have a gun on you, don't say you don't have it in you. What are you, a wuss? I've never actually really understood the whole chicken for cowardice thing because chickens are mean. Right? Like, chickens are mean, aggressive animals. It seems weird that we've painted them as cowards. Has anyone in this family even seen a chicken? But Chiana does not shoot him. Oof. No, she does not. She shoots one of the poison-filled pustules and it graphically melts him. Yeah, okay, but but here's the thing. It melts his hand, and we know that once you've been touched at all by this, you're going to die a long, painful death. So it's not like he's instantly dead. He was like, you don't have it in you to shoot me. And instead, she puts him in a position where he's going to die an extended, painful death. It's freaking dark, man. Yeah. dark. Also, just... Seriously, it is so gross. It is, like, legitimately could not watch it so gross. So, to me, it looked too fake to be really gross, but, yeah, it was pretty gross. No, see, I think that makes it worse when they're like, you know what, we're just gonna go all in. This doesn't even need to look real. Yeah, it just looks like frosting falling off of a melting jello mold. Ugh. Also gross. So... Back on the ship, everything is better. Everybody is happy. Everybody is eating the barbecued remains of the dog creature. John barbecued it up for everybody. Okay. I mean, it honestly, it everybody digging into it, it looks good. It looks like a giant, like, piece of barbecue. So you know, it it doesn't look bad. I I would I'd eat that. I would feel weird about eating something bipedal. And vaguely human-sized myself, but... Yeah. Aaron is at the head of the table carving it. It's all very, um... What's his face? Norman Rockwelly. Yes! Yes! It, it, it's a Norman Rockwell moment. Definitely. And Zan is almost completely recovered. You can see she's just got, like, little tiny bumps where there were buds before. Hmm. And she's like, hey, Aaron, I'm so sorry that I hit you and said that you were an evil peacekeeper who was trying to kill me. And Aaron's like, meh, don't worry about it. Sorry I called you space garbage and tried to murder you. But you know what? I do like Aaron's like, there should be food in your mouth, not words. (laughs) You know what, though? They've been through a lot. They've all said mean things to each other at this point. I don't think anyone should hold things against other people. Crackers Don't Matter was like a week ago. Right? So... In another part of the ship, Doug is like, hey, Chiana, you know I was just being a dick because I want to bang you, right? God. I just like Dargo so much here. He's like, hey, I'm willing to look past the fact that you've had sex with other people 
so that I can have sex with you. And Chan's like, yeah, that's real generous, dude. Thanks. They do start making out, though. Yeah, they do start making out, and it is so freaking awkward. Well, they both are wearing, like, ten pounds of makeup. I mean, I guess he's wearing ten pounds of makeup, and she's just wearing, like, five, but... Yeah, I I have to imagine this was hard to do. Oh my god, they must have moved in on each other so carefully so that just their lips touched, and, like, she didn't get his tentacle prosthetic coming off on her chin. Yeah, I, honest to God, didn't think they'd ever kiss on screen because it seems like it was, even watching this, it seemed really logistically awkward. Like they moved in towards each other so slow and were like, make sure our lips are exactly lined up. But Gianna's like, wow, that sure was a hot kiss. And we're all like, okay, yeah, sure, Gianna. And that's the end of the episode. It was fine. Not really a lot happened, but. I mean, I I like this. Okay. I wouldn't say not a lot happened. We didn't get a lot of moving forward on continuing plot lines, but that's not the kind of show that this is. I mean, remember, this is the early 2000s, late 90s. We're not doing long serialized dramas. You know, it's the story of the week. And this week, the story is they go to the Budong. They need food. They fight a monster. They get food. This is one of those episodes where I feel like it would have been better to cut the B story basically entirely. Wait, what, which are you considering the B story? Zan budding. Oh, no, I love that story. I just think Zan should have been dying. She needed meat. We could have spent more time I'm in the way more interesting A plot in the way more interesting set. Like, I would have liked to see them exploring the mines more. That seemed really cool and kind of underdone in the show, probably because it would have been expensive and... They would have had to build more sets and stuff. So, I, I mean, I get it, but... I, I actually feel like there was a good balance between A story and B story, but I guess I enjoyed the B story more than you did. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. We're just, we're on the heels of, like, four different so-and-so has something wrong with them and they're evil now. Well, we've also had a lot of really good episodes that really built character. Uh, not, not like, not like... Hard work builds character, built character, like, really developed the characters that we are, are living with here on Moya. Whereas this is just, like, stuff happened. We, d- we don't really get anything deep about anybody. And honestly, I would have really liked to see more. I mean, we got a little bit of it in the interaction with Dargo and What's-Her-Bucket. Altana. Altana. But I would have loved to see more of Dargo and Chiana talking about their different worldview and what's acceptable to them. Well, I've got good news for you. That you'll, you'll get that later that. okay yeah yeah so we have segments we do have segments our first segment is a distant part of the universe which is what world building worked for you in this episode okay it, it's really obviously the giant dead it's the dead the budong colossal squid yes yeah like i love the establishing shot of the budong i love just the zoom through and it's it's obvious cgi but it looks so cool such a beautiful shot and such a good shot for expressing the scale of it yeah yeah no and i love that we're filling out we're populating this world in the ass part of the universe right in the uncharted territories honestly that's one of i i feel like it's more of a season two thing I really like sort of the look at the way poverty exists in different ways. Just 
this episode and the one with the graveyard planet. Mm-hmm. Like, just sort of all of the different ways people get stuck or give up or, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting because I hadn't really thought about it, but most of the characters on this show are characters who it would make sense for all of them to get stuck or give up at any given point. So every time we see a planet where that has happened, it kind of subconsciously raises the stakes for us because this could happen to our characters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, our second segment, and I mean, I, I agree with you, the, the Budang, the, the whole the whole way that this society is developed is, is obviously the world building that's great in this episode. Yeah. Uh, our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, which is what... What puppet or costuming or creature did you get into this episode? And there's a few to choose from. Okay. Weirdly enough, I feel like mine's not going to be any of them. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Basong? Basong? Basong, uh-huh. I really like, he had a triple nose, which is something I feel like you don't really see that often in alien designs. If normally it's like forehead ridges or what have you. Yeah. But like... Having a triple nose just seemed like a really good alien touch. Yeah, it's funny. One of the things that sets Farscape apart is that because there are puppets, we don't have to have just like forehead ridges, you know? It looks just like a human except this prosthetic. But then when we do have it, it's so creative. Like, you don't get that other places. And I think it's because this show is not afraid to be ugly. Mm. And I appreciate that. Uh, and I mean, for me, I thought the the dog monster was well done. Like, it benefits because it doesn't have to look like anything. And it really doesn't. Honestly, the way its head kind of comes up from its body and has this elongated snout, almost like almost like a shark head rising up from the shoulders. Hmm. I, I think it's well done. It doesn't look like anything on Earth, but still close enough to our monsters to be scary. And our final segment is looking for a way home. What emotionally resonated with you this episode? For me, it was, you know, okay, if it's not going to be an Aaron and John moment, for me, it's going to be an Aaron and Pilot moment. For me, when Aaron is on the ship and she's going to take Zan in the transport pod so that Pilot can vent Moya into space and Pilot tells her, you know, this is gonna poison you and Aaron says it doesn't matter I'll figure it out take care of Moya she's not worried about herself she just wants to save the ship and she's gonna sacrifice herself if she has to okay honestly it's I I feel like I lost it I feel like I had one particular moment that I just lost Mm -hmm. but it's sort of Chiana throughout this episode Mm -hmm. just sort of her I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase it like you know that thing where you'll just do something? The practicality of her... Yeah. Like, she feels... Honestly, I feel like it's not something we really have seen directly with her before. Because she really... You know, she she's the thief character. She always has, you know, some way of getting what she wants. But... Some way of getting whatever she wants. But in this episode, there's sort of a bluntness to her where she's just very upfront that I I find interesting. I find an interesting and really believable aspect of her character. Well, there's a line in an early Chiana episode that gets quoted a lot when people are describing Chiana's character, where she says that 
You know, she does whatever she has to do, whatever she has to kiss, kick, or kill to get out of a situation. And this is an episode where we kind of see what that looked like in her past. There's a utilitarian quality to Chiana. Yeah. Which I really like, and I I would like to see explored more. By nature of her being on Moya, she's having to turn into a person who cares about other people and relies on other people. So to see what she was like before that is an interesting kind of window into her past. Mm. So that should about do it for this week. That's it for this week. As I have already teased, the next episode is my least favorite ever. It's called Dream a Little Dream. And the plot synopsis from Amazon Prime is... Zan, Chiana, and Rigel find themselves embroiled in a criminal conspiracy as they try to come to grips with the apparent deaths of Crichton, Aaron, and Rigel. Oh, so that does it for this week. This show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Wah.